We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Todd Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, joined today by my main man, Scott, the Stat Assassin. Scott, tell the people what's up. How's everybody doing? Still detoxing from 48 hours of draft nonsense. Yeah, and see the the dismissiveness and the disconnect you hear in Scott's voice, a result of us pulling out the hair that, well, I don't have hair, but Scott pulling out hair and my beard turning more gray, trying to figure out what in the world our beloved Falcons were doing, which we'll get to in a few minutes. If you're new to the podcast, check us out on any major podcasting platform. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us titlerunsports at gmail.com. Billy, if you have any really good sound effects that are like fart noises or poop, uh, those might be appropriate at certain parts of the show. Uh, so Scott, let's start by just briefly recapping all of the picks. Uh, the first pick, which was not a surprise to many people, although it was not the preference that you and I had was Kyle Pitts with the number four pick in the first round. Uh, the second pick was Richie Grant taking at number 40 in the second round after a trade down. The third pick was, uh, in the third round was Jalen Mayfield, who is a tackle. We think is going to play guard out of Michigan. In the fourth round, the third pick, 108 overall, we took Darren Hall, a cornerback out of San Diego State, wore the same college number as DeMonte Casey, shares a lot of similarities in his game. Then the next pick in the fourth round was Drew Dahlman, whose father, Chris Dahlman, was often confused with Chris Dolman, the famous Stevens lineman, um, played for years in the NFL. He's a center out of Stanford. And then at the top of the fifth round, we took Taquan Graham, a defensive tackle out of Texas, who I think is probably going to play a little bit of uh, five technique defensive end for the Falcons. And then in the bottom of the fifth round, the back-to-back picks we had, we took, and I'm going to butcher this name, <laughs> Adetokounmpo Ogundeji, who is a defensive end out of Notre Dame, and he was the 182nd pick overall, 38th in the fifth round. And with the very next pick, we took Avery Williams, a cornerback who's really a punt returner out of Boise State. And we finished our draft by taking Frank Darby, a receiver out of Arizona State. So those are the picks. We took all nine picks, which very much surprised me. Um, We traded back. And instead of getting an extra pick, we essentially picked up a pick swap moving up about 80 spots, I think it was, from 214 to two, or not quite 80 spots, from 214 to 187. So it was a big jump. My math's not very good. There's 27 spots. Um, so those are the picks, Scott, your general feelings before we go pick by pick, as we uh, look at the nine draft picks that added to the Falcons. My biggest, I guess, feeling about the whole draft was it was weird to not have a Thomas Dimitrov draft. And it was a little bit strange to not be drafting with Dan Quinn between having TD around for so long. And then having Dan Quinn around for well, longer than we'd like, you had a really good feel for what those guys yes. were trying to draft, right? When it was Mike Smith and Thomas, yeah, when it was Mike Smith and TD, they're like, we're trying to get big. You're like, mm-hmm. all right, anybody that's big, that's who we're trying to get, you know? And with Dan Quinn, it was fast and physical. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, anybody that can run and play fast and hit, that's who we want. Any corner yeah. that was long and traitsy with decent speed and any linebacker that could run was going to get drafted. And you had a very good thumbprint on what they're looking for, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. It was very, very clear. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And and so this year we, we don't quite have that, right? We're not as familiar with the, the GM or the head coach or the coordinators. Right. So I say that because it, it sort of comes up a, a few times, probably as we go through mm-hmm. this, there's going to be some guys where you say, I don't know, this guy's, Seems like a pretty good football player. I kind of think we maybe took him a round or two early. Mm-hmm. If he fits our scheme perfectly well, then maybe he outplays that spot and it's okay, right? Yeah. So, you know, example would be Deion Jones, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. We took him, I think, second round. Yeah, high the second people, round. Yeah, had him as sort of, you know, maybe late second round or third round. And a lot of people kind of said, I don't know, it's a bit of a reach. On the national side of things, mm-hmm. yep. everybody that had been paying attention to how Dan Quinn was running the defense and the Falcons kind of knew eh, 
it's probably going to work out pretty well. He fits exactly what we want to do. He doesn't yep. need to come downhill and take on pulling guards. That's not what we drafted him to mm-hmm. do, right? So in that case, you go, all right, it's slightly overdrafted based on where he might have gone, but he's kind of a first-round value in the Falcon system, so he split the middle, second-round cool. Right. Even better example of that is Keanu Neal. Do you remember how much he got panned for that pick? Are you taking mm-hmm. a safety at 17? And Keanu Neal immediately impacted what the Falcons were doing. He was great his first year and first two years really until he got hurt. I mean, pro bowler in year two, if I remember correctly. And then it was year three when he started getting injured. But he was someone that perfectly fit Dan Quinn's scheme. And so he was a reach, but he produced at a level worthy of his draft slot. And another one is DeMonte Casey. He was a corner that we knew could play free safety in the system, and he was a great pick that outperformed his draft slot. So totally agree there. Yeah, and and there's some guys, right? Okay, we picked Kyle Pitts at four, right? Okay, most offenses in the NFL are probably going to be run in such a way that you can take advantage of Kyle Pitts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. an elite talent, right? That's not a pick where you worry about, oh, did he fit our system or not? No, No, he transcends that. Yeah. At Florida, Kyle Pitts was the system. Right? <laughs> Kyle Pitts first, Dan Mullen second, and then everything else was a disappear. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, the the value out of taking a tight end at four, it's kind of debatable. Quarterback's way more valuable. If you could have traded down a few spots and still picked up Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, or something like that, and gotten multiple other first-round picks in exchange for that, that's kind of hard to pass up. Probably the offer wasn't there. Yeah. Because I think most people knew that we weren't really taking a quarterback. But a couple of years from now, nobody's really going to care that much unless Fields is amazing. And even then, people will only care because he already has ties to the state of Georgia. Yeah. Right. Because there was a lot of, you know, people making a lot of noise about drafting an offensive guard at six a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that offensive guard is Quentin Nelson, which is basically the guard prospect equivalent of Kyle Pitts. Who is immediately the best guard in football. Yeah, he's been amazing, and now nobody says anything bad about picking him that high at six because he's awesome. Probably the same thing happens with Kyle Pitts. The only yeah. exception being if Justin Fields is making a Pro Bowl as Matt Ryan's getting released in two years, then, <laughs> you know. At least you know Pitts will be good, though. So yeah. there's that. And I, I agree with that. And my general feeling, I told you my grade as of like the fifth round was WTF. Like, <laughs> it's like that was my grade. I was like, I don't understand what we're doing. And here's the thing. If I back out and take a wide angle view, and I was to tell you that the Falcons drafted an elite offensive talent, picked up two offensive linemen, one of who's definitely going to play, one of who's going to be a, a solid backup that could possibly play. We picked up two rotational defensive linemen and the best return man in the draft. You had said, wow. That's a good oh, and a developmental corner. You would say that's a good job of maximizing need or drafting for need and getting some decent talent. That's what you would have said. However, the frustration for us is some of the players we passed on that were still on the board at these spots. That's what made it so confusing. So, like when we get to the Richie Grant pick, you know, Richie Grant was the one that I mocked in almost every draft that I did, but I took him assuming Trevon Murg wasn't on the board. <laughs> so, what he is, and he's clearly the number one safety, it's a little. Interesting to see Grant taken before him. Now, again, that goes back to scheme. Is Grant a better skit for Dean P's? Is, is Grant a better fit for the Dean P's scheme? He clearly must be because we took him before. So that's kind of what we have to, I mean, that's kind of what we have to evaluate. And again, when I take when I look at all these picks in a vacuum, I say, you know what? We actually did fill a lot of needs. We got pretty good players. Value, like you said, very debatable, but the biggest thing, and we talked about it, we were texting back and forth. Look at some of what was left on the board. Like, we get to Frank Darby, and we take a guy that – Frank Darby? I'm sorry. Like, who? Oh, my gosh. What is we this? Take, we take a no-name receiver out of Arizona State who played two games this year when they were NFL-caliber running backs on the board. Like, you could go get a Kylan Hill. You could have taken Jamie Newman. Like, there's a lot of things you could have done with that pick that I feel like would make a lot more immediate impact than the guy that I don't think is even going to make our team. Anyways well, – and even even more than that, right? There's I don't know. There's at least five wide receivers that went undrafted that would have probably been better picks in the sixth or seventh round than Frank Darby. You could have gotten I Dylan mean, Moses. That's not even a need, but shoot, I mean, yeah. Well, so wider at wide receiver, 
uh, Sage Surratt, the guy at Wake Forest. Yes. Right? Way more productive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tamori and Terry out of Florida State. He went undrafted because he had a bit of a down year this past year. His down year this past year was the same as all of Frank Darby's seasons. The difference <laughs> is the first two years in college when Frank Darby had two or 300 yards, Terry was racking up 2,000 yards on a team with no passing capability. So it just – it didn't make sense, right? The That pick specifically, you weren't picking a guy that was highly productive in college. You weren't picking a guy that was just kind of like raw and underdeveloped but some awesome athlete that you thought had some potential. A late-round pick needs to be one of those two things. It's not going to be both of those things because that's an earlier round pick. Wait, so, okay, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go ahead and go through a pick by pick because – Obviously, we both we, we both want to dunk on that sixth round pick, um, but start with Cal Pitts, second best player on the board for you, Scott. Uh, yeah, just ignoring position. Yeah, I mean, ignoring position, he might be the first, right? He's probably a better tight end prospect yeah. than Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback. Obviously, I would pick Trevor Lawrence if he's there at four, but yeah, I mean, clearly, but elite talent, um, high high end prospect, he is quite arguably the best tight end prospect of the mo- the recent draft Ever. era uh, with Ever. his physical profile. I-, I would argue that Vernon Davis from a physical profile was comparable, but Vernon Davis didn't have the same kind of uh, production profile. So when you put those together, it probably does make him the superior prospect. But I mean, that's the one yeah. I need to compare from a physical standpoint. Do you agree? I, I mean, Vernon Davis yeah. coming out at 250 pounds running a 4-3. Yeah, Vernon Davis is probably a little bit more of a freak athletically, even than somebody like Kyle Pitts, mm-hmm. as far as just dude looking like an Under Armour mannequin from the start. Yeah, which he was. Yeah, so looking like that, running in the four threes, just totally insane. Now, part of the difference is Pitts has about three or four inches on him, and Pitts at this yeah. stage is probably a better route runner, catches the ball better. Mm-hmm. So I. I would say he's a little bit better overall prospect, but I, yeah, you can't lie. A tight end running in the four threes is sexy. So it can't be ignored. Yeah. And the one thing, Vernon Davis was a nasty blocker coming out of college too. He had those, he, I mean, he had so many highlight blocks and trucks coming out of, of Maryland, but the point being like, when we say you keep hearing generational talent thrown around, it's probably used way too much, but this is one of those cases where it's actually appropriate because basically Kyle Pitts' ceiling is best pass-catching tight end ever. That's his ceiling. And, like, his floor is perennial Pro Bowl tight end. Like, that's his floor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's, I mean multi, multi-time Pro Bowler. There is virtually no chance of him not being a productive NFL player, barring injury, of course. And so just looking at his profile, you know, six foot five. Basically 6'6", six, six. he measured just under 6'6", six, six, 245 pounds, which is just a few pounds above his playing weight. 4.46, which we know that these 40-yard dash times are a little bit wonky, but, dude, 83-inch wingspan. 83-inch wingspan. Just so you folks understand, anything above 75 is pretty good. He's at 83. It's That's bananas. Averaged 18 yards a catch last year, 12 touchdowns, and I believe he only played in nine games. Is that right? I think so. Something like that. So... um. And again, the only complaint that either of us have had about this pick, and we've had it for, for weeks, we talked about this in the last podcast, at least I did, was that taking tight end at four is not valuable. And I'll say it again. If your tight end has a historic year like Travis Kelsey just had, he's the eighth most productive pass catcher in the NFL. A number one receiver is more valuable. However, however, in this case, if you treat him like a, essentially a top-tier wide receiver as far as targets, you know, and he has a Jimmy Graham season where he catches 17 touchdowns, it's going to be hard to complain about this pick at all. Yeah. And that's probably what's so. going to happen, right? He's going to play well enough where yeah, it's kind of hard to complain about the pick, which is why we mentioned the Quentin Nelson pick comparison, right? Yes. He'd Nobody cares about well. him going at six yeah. now. Yeah. And, and just, just talking about fit, Um, obviously with Arthur Smith's offense, everybody knows he is tight end heavy. He's a tight end guru. He has resurrected the careers of people like Johnny Smith, got him paid by the Patriots. And we can expect to play a lot of 12 personnel next year, which is one running back and two tight ends with Hayden Hurst, who does one thing really well, and that's run fast down the field, which is one of his strengths. And I think that you're going to see a lot of Kyle Pitts as the H-back 
or move tight end, I think you'll see a lot less of him in line than you will of Hayden Hurst. And I was sitting there going through the scenarios in my mind where I think you'll see something like a twins closed set where you have two uh, Julio and Calvin on the left side of the field. The closed set has Hayden Hurst at tight end with Kyle Pitts as an H back to the strong side with Hayden Hurst. You get stretch zone blocking to the left, Matt Ryan play action fakes to the left drops back. You got Hayden Hurst is going to down block and then you get off the play action Kyle Pitts is going to act like he's going to scoop the linebacker and go right down the seam. Those are the kind of things I'm picturing. Kyle Pitts one-on-one with the safety off a play action. Or he lines up at fullback or H, motions out to the closed side of the set and gets a one-on-one with your with your CB2 because CB1's over there matched up on Julio. And I'm just thinking, or maybe even your nickel corner. I mean, I'm just thinking like, I think that with what I've seen out of how – they utilize um, bunch sets and motions in Arthur Smith's offense. I think our red zone woes are long gone, long gone. So I, I just, I think this is a home run of a pick as far as how it's going to affect the team on offense. And we better be good on offense. We better score about 60 points a game. Cause I don't know where the pass rush is coming from. Oh man. Yeah, um, that, that last line we've been repeating since the nineties. Oh my gosh. Well, no, we had the John Abraham years. So we knew at least that was one person that was going to bring fire off the edge. All right, moving on to the second round pick. This is a player that I was probably one of my draft crushes. Uh, Trevon Merrick was somebody I didn't think uh, we would actually get our hands on. So this is the safe that I actually focused in on, and I drafted in almost all my mock drafts. This is Richie Grant out of UCF. And I was listening to a guy on Sports Talk Radio here in Atlanta. He's like, I'm sorry, but I've never heard of this guy. Like, if you haven't heard of this guy, you're not paying attention to football, and you should be a little ashamed of yourself. Because if you pay any attention to the draft, this guy's in the top five draft boards at safety on everybody's draft boards. He's not a nobody by any stretch of the imagination. So. I, I think I think for a lot of people, if they haven't heard of Richie Grant, um, you know, especially if, if it's Atlanta people, they're probably familiar with uh, Georgia and Richard LeCount. Richie Grant is mm-hmm. Richard LeCount. Turbocharged. An extra inch and an extra 10 pounds and a little bit more reliable yeah. tackler. That's what I said. He is turbocharged Richard LeCount. If you were to watch his highlights and you Georgia fans, you would literally be like, oh my gosh, that's Richard LeCount. That's what he plays. I mean, he looks very, he's built similarly. I said he's about an inch taller. Uh, he's listed officially at about three pounds heavier, but Richard LeCount probably played more to like 185, we know, and not really at like 195, which he did at Pro Day. Um, that was probably a ballooned weight. And just to give you an idea, he's scheme versatile. He can get down in the slot and play man to man, although I don't think that's where he's going to make his money in the NFL. He is a really good too high split field cover two safety. And that's where you get a lot of his woe highlights. I mean, there's one of him. I can't remember who they were playing, but he's on the far hash comes across the field and cover two and picks off a seam route or go route to the, on the other, on the other numbers. And it's like, wow, there aren't a whole lot of safeties that can make those kind of plays. And, and and you got to remember the far hash in college is extra far is wide. Yeah, it's wide. Um, And so he is, a great fit for Dean P scheme, which as best we can tell is going to be a lot of two man, which is going to be man across the board with two high safeties over the top. And he is a great fit for that scheme. The other thing is he is a very good tackler, not a big hitter, not a Keanu Neal. He is just a good, solid, versatile, uh, good, solid, reliable tackler. He takes good angles. It's one of the things that I liked about him, um, which when we talked about somebody like Jamar Johnson, we both agree that he was, a good player as far as ball skills and stuff, but he's not as reliable in tackling as, uh, and especially in the open field as Grant is. So um, three-year starter, uh, average size athleticism, but he he plays faster than the 4-5-3 he ran. When you watch him on film, he plays like a guy that runs a 4-4, and he's 197 pounds, so he's got good size. He's 5'11 and a half, so big enough. And with what they're going to ask him to do, I just think he's a slam dunk. I think this is a great pick. Um very, very top end of where he's projected. He's probably projected between, I'd say, probably about 40 and 60. Wouldn't you agree? So we took him at yeah. pretty much the very top of that projection. Yeah. And and that's sort of a, a running theme of where we took most of these guys. Yes. I think somebody, yes. people have kind of already gone through and crunched the numbers. And depending on how you slice it, we were either about second worth or sixth worst as far as taking guys ahead of where they're expected on average. We basically took all these guys at the top of their draft ceiling. Yeah. And, and that's the thing for the most part, 
they're not wildly off, right? But mm-hmm. if it's just a little bit off six or eight times, then you maybe feel like you left a little bit of value on the board, right? So mm-hmm. I, I agree. You know, we, and we mentioned that overall, you know, this draft sort of mixed up um, picking talent, best player, and picking need. It's pretty evident with the first two picks. Kyle Pitts was just, all right, we're picking four. We're just taking the guy who thinks the best player. Then yeah. you come back round two and you say, hey, we absolutely need a safety. Who's a safety worth the second yeah. round pick that fits our scheme? And that's Richie Grant. And then yep. Yep. the rest I of the draft is offensive line and corner, or basically just lines of scrimmage and cornerback. Well, those are positions we always need more of. That's not the complaint, right? The complaint is Mm-mm. Jalen Mayfield should have probably been a third round pick in 2022. If he stayed another year, and, I think he would have played his way into being a third round pick. Well, and the thing is, I went and read a lot of valuations from him. Some people had him as like a late one, which is probably ridiculous. But it seemed to me that three was kind of like the average, like he could have gone lower. But some people had, like a lot of people had, people that we trust had him as a two, a two, a second round rate on him. So he's a, he's a tough eval. But the thing is with him is that he's a right tackle that's probably going to play guard for us. I mean, I think there's a chance he could beat out Caleb McGarry, but the basically the evaluations that I read, and I watch, I did watch him, um, and I'll go into my eval of him in a little bit, but the evals like NFL.com where he's a guy that's going to develop into a starter, but he needs some time. That's what you're talking about, Scott, where if he had gone back to school, he comes back, and he's probably a legit third-round pick. Um, he's only played 15 games in his career. He's got short arms for his size, but he's massive, 6'5", 326, and – if you watch him, he's very, very technically sound, almost a little robotic, but like he's got like good kick step, good hand placement on his strikes. He's scheme versatile. They do zone and power and gap scheme at uh, Michigan. So that was good. He's got good burst mobility. Uh, the one thing was he, and I read this on several evaluations. You could see this on film. He tends to sometimes in space lunge and get off balance and fall off blocks and he can get a little bit stronger. But my question is this, and maybe we don't know this yet, but, is there a chance that he this year ends up being better than Caleb McGarry? I mean, there's always a chance. chance I gotta say yeah. it's probably pretty unlikely, even though I don't okay. think McGarry's gonna kill it. It's just this if Mayfield is good, it's gonna probably take a year or two, right? That's what so. that's what most people feel. And the second question is if he's not your right tackle this year, which I don't think he is, I agree with you. I don't think he is, is he your starting left guard on day one? And I think there, that's I think a he has a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Too. I'm, I would guess not on day one, but I would guess maybe, by maybe week as six. the season wears on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but you and I both the, agree. So you mentioned, go ahead. You mentioned, sorry, with Mayfield, you know, that he, at, at Michigan, they ran gap zone type schemes. And from all the stuff I've seen, you know, it, he seems pretty well rounded and that can kind yeah. of run either one. Yeah. What are we trying to run? Are we will we run out zone. We will run outside zone. Okay. It will be out. Yeah. We'll, we'll have an outside zone heavy scheme. I now uh, Tennessee did run some gap scheme, which is different than most of the, the Shanahan tree. They did run some gap scheme just because Derek Henry, I mean, golly, if you're not running power with him, you're stupid getting him going downhill. But um, I'd imagine with the backs we have, what, well, that's a whole other story. Um, Mike Davis, I don't think is an outside zone back though. I think, I think Mike, I think Mike Davis is a gap is a gap scheme power inside zone back. And I need to go back and watch more of his film, but that's what I kind of see him doing. And I guess since Cordero Patterson is our backup running back, <laughs> he'll be the one that runs stretch. I mean, uh, what are we doing at running back, Scott? Let's let's keep it moving. Nothing. Um, that was kind of the complaint, right? Yeah, and see, and this is this is what we're which is killing us. It's right here in the third round. Michael Carter's sitting there for you to take. Coming into the third round, you could have moved up. He went, I think, one or two picks right before this. Uh, And so then it's like, okay, well, maybe in the fourth round with the pick that we're going to take Darren Hall, you had guys there. You had people here like Kenneth Gainwell uh, out of Memphis who's a good option as a receiving back. You could have taken Chuba Hubbard because he's a great – he would be a great fit in an outside zone scheme. 
He's a poor man's Tevin Coleman, essentially, is what Cheaper Hubbard is. Yeah. Well, and right after we picked Mayfield, the next pick was Joseph Asai, who's who we were both drooling over. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing where you get him in the, you know, uh, anyway. So Joseph Asai was a pick that you and I both were big, really high on. He's a versatile three, four outside linebacker. He's crazy athletic. He's kind of like the poor man's Aziz Ojolari. Probably not as good against the run, but twitchy, athletic, probably a little bit better in coverage. And he just seemed like he'd be a great fit in this kind of scheme, which we know we're going to have a lot of three, four and four, three mixed in. But um, And if you're going to use a third round pick on somebody that's a little bit developmental yeah. and isn't going to contribute a whole lot in the first year or maybe two years, yeah. you'd rather do that on a more high impact position like right. a pass rusher or like a cornerback, take somebody that's just real tools yet cornerback and hope they turn into a stud as opposed to a guy that you're hoping can slot in at guard. I don't know. And if we we're going to take a corner, I would rather in the third round, let's take, well, I don't know. I mean, Paul Sonadibo, take him in the third round. Guy that's long and toolsy. Uh, Kelvin yeah. Joseph was hoping I thought we might grab in the third round, but he was gone because he's a very talented corner out of Kentucky. He's one that I took in a lot of my mocks. So I ended up taking Darren Hall, who I wasn't familiar with, went and checked this film. The dude is around the ball all the time, does not have the prototypical frame. He's 5'11", 188, and he is one of those guys that basically added 5 to 10 pounds of muscle every year and bulked up. So he is still, if you look at him, has not maxed out his frame, but he's one of those guys that's going to have to work to keep weight on. I don't think DeMonte Casey ever got much about above about 185, and that was his listed weight. I'm pretty sure he played closer to like 175. But I hate to make the comparison, but this is who that guy reminds me of. He's a very, very reliable tackler. He led uh, the FBS in pass breakups in 2019 with 16. Uh, really good ball skills. He played a lot of zone and man, so he's scheme versatile, which I liked. He looked to be a little more comfortable in zone. He has really good eyes. was really good at finding the football in zone and making good breaks. Technique left a little bit to be desired, not the cleanest backpedal. He plays a little high for my taste, and this is the DBs coach me. Uh, talking but you look at his production 72 tackles three interceptions five pass breakups this past year and remember that's in a shortened season uh same thing about going back to richie grant because i don't think i gave you all his production richie grant 72 tackles three pass breakups three int and five pass breakups actually those those numbers on hall might be might be incorrect i'll have to go check those but either way uh, the point being that he is a very very good prospect um for a developmental backup corner i don't know that darren hall will ever be a starter but he could be your next Bleedy Ray Wilson, who you can put out there for a series or two, and he can help you get through a game. And he's probably going to get his hands in the football at some point. Scott, you're looking up. Do you have his stats for the 2020? Because I don't think these ones are correct that I have in front of you. Yeah, me. so three interceptions was correct, six passes broken Six up. pass breakups, okay. And then uh, 37 tackles. This was only eight games. The 70 yeah, tackles I knew wasn't correct because there's no way a corner is getting that many tackles in any yeah. defense. Now, if, if you go back to his 2019 season, oh, 11 yeah. games played, 16 passes defended. Mm -hmm. So definitely got his hands on a lot of balls there. So, again, this guy is a great fit as a – I think primarily as a zone corner, which we will play some zone. And, again, I think he's a good developmental prospect. To me, he's the kind of guy that you take in the fifth round probably again around higher because a fourth round pick is someone that's you're just looking at being like pretty much a guaranteed backup that might get playing time. Whereas a fifth round pick is a developmental pick that you're hoping develops into a backup as we talked about. And so with this guy, it's like, I don't know that he's going to develop into getting playing time ahead of Kendall Sheffield. Um, he's definitely an outside corner from what I saw, but not a bad pick, but again, I, this is a kid I'm probably taking in the fifth round. Um, decent talent, not a great value. Then in the uh, few picks later in the sixth round, excuse me, six picks later in the fourth round, taking Drew Dahlman. And I watched a good bit of him. And basically, everything you see about him is good except his size. And you can tell it even on film, he's small. He's not super strong. He gets bull rushed into the backfield. But, like, he does everything right. Like, he's smart. He picks up blitzes. He can move. Like, they pull him around on uh, outside running plays, which you don't pull centers unless they're really, really good. And, like, dude, he's nasty. He's blocking to the echo of the echo of the whistle. Like, the only thing that I didn't like about him was I looked at his weight and saw that he was listed at 295. And I was like, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> he's a baby. Uh, 6'3", 295. But I think, you know, this is the kind of guy that's a, that's a fifth-round pick again to me. A backup that's probably going to be a reliable backup. He'll probably he, – this kid will make the team and be a reliable backup for years. And if he has to play, you'll be okay. 
he could shock you and beat out Matt Hennessy at center. I don't think that's out of the question because I think he might actually be a little bit cleaner of a player than Matt Hennessy. Yeah, or and really, you know, a year or two from now, it's very possible he's he just wins the, guy. the center job and yeah. Hennessy kicks over to guard. Mm, it's right, because Hennessy's kind of a center slash guard. Um, yeah, but it's, it's another guy, another interior lineman that seems like long term could be a pretty good player. Yeah. probably a year or two away, right? right. Yeah, that, I would definitely say that with him. Put on five or ten pounds, get a little bit 20. stronger, <laughs> so we can. Yeah, well, I'm being realistic. Yeah, I did realistically, right? realistically. Yeah, and then you know, anchor a little bit better and just yeah. hold up against the. the and this is one of the things with him is he does not have positional versatility. He is a center and a center only with his size. So, um, fourth overall, fourth round, ninth pick, one fourteen overall. Probably a little bit of a reach again, fourth or fifth round value that we probably took a little bit early. Then moving to the end of the beginning of the fifth round, what number what number 148 overall, the fourth pick in the fifth round, we took Taquan Graham from Texas, a defensive tackle at six foot three, 292, ran a 493, 35 inch arm, Scott. That's that's quite lengthy. Just so y'all know, anything over 32 is solid length. So 35 is literally go go gadget arms. Yeah, and, uh, 33 is usually the sort of arbitrary magical cutoff for offensive mm-hmm. tackles. They okay. don't want to take okay. offensive tackles. They don't want offensive linemen to play offensive tackle a lot of times if their arm length is under 33. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of like hardcore offensive line guys and offensive line coaches don't actually care about that. Yeah. You know, there's always exceptions. But in the scouting community, that's sort of the magic number. Well, this guy's 35, so he's way above that cutoff. And he's 6'3". Normally, your tackles are 6'5". Yeah. And if they have 33-inch arms, they say, all right, good arm length. So this this dude's lanky. This is an NBA body. Just yeah, he really is. Pounds. And if you've never seen Taekwon Bram, he is built like a brick house. I mean, he looks all of his 290. He's not wiry like you would think somebody with six foot with 35-inch arms in He's not wiry like you would picture someone with 35-inch arms being. He is built solid. When you watch him, I think that um, he is going to end up being a three-tech defensive tackle when we go 4-3, and he'll kick outside and play a five-tech defensive end. He is not a nose, and he's not an outside linebacker or stand-up end. He is not either of those. He is hand on the ground. Um, he played 48 games and had 24 starts at Texas, so he's played a lot. He's scheme versatile, which is helpful. He is going to provide, I think, a lot of what Marlon Davidson is supposed to provide also, which is a guy to play on first and second down in base. He's not – he has very, very little pass rush um, upside. He's not twitchy. But he's going to line up, play his block, make a tackle, and then jog off the field on third down when you bring in your pass rushers. Um, and he has a really high motor. That's one of the things you saw if you watch his highlights. He is all over the field. So this, to me, is actually a good fifth-round pick. And, and if things go well, uh, potentially even kick inside on mm-hmm. passing downs. Yeah. If you're in a 4-3, he can play defensive tackle next to Grady, and you have essentially a jet package where you can get some pressure there. And I personally am believing the more that I saw uh, with us not choosing to take an outside linebacker, that Dante Fowler and Michael Walker are going to play those outside linebacker positions when we go to a 3-4. And I'm just guessing they must feel really good about them as your pass rushers from those stand-up positions because if not, they would have taken someone to play them because the defensive end that we took that we're talking about in a second, I don't think he's a 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh, So moving on to, I'm not even going to try to say his name again, but I'm going to call him 80 Ogundeji out of uh, Notre Dame. He is a 6'4", 260-pound defensive end with, again, 35-and-a-quarter-inch arms. So that was a theme. And if you look at him, he looks on film all 6'7". He is deceptively short at 6'4". He looks way bigger than that, and he is the typical long, wiry defensive end that you picture. I think he is more or less a prototypical 4'3", wide 9 defensive end. I don't see him kicking inside at all. Um, I don't really see him as a designated pass rusher. I see him as a guy that you're going to play in base because he only ran a 4840 at that 260 pound frame, which is not great athleticism. It's very, very average athleticism. And him and uh, Taquan Graham didn't have great production. You're talking about 23 tackles, seven tackles for loss, and two sacks for Graham, four and a half uh, sacks and seven tackles for loss out of 
AD, and he he is a lot more disruptive than his numbers indicate. Going back to the old Mike Smith, he pushes the pocket a lot. He gets close to a lot of sacks, but doesn't necessarily get the quarterback on the ground. So he's more disruptive than he his numbers would indicate. But this is a guy that I think is a developmental player that I can't guarantee is going to make our team. I think uh, Tequan Graham has a better chance of making our team. And the one thing to remember, too, with some of the stats, right, for guys this past year, it was an abbreviated season. Yes, of course, of and, course. And it's a season that also didn't really see a lot of the cupcake games. That's true. So, all all conference yeah. schedule. That's true. Yeah. So it's hard to tell because a lot of times, you know, he had four and a half sacks, right? A lot of times you have guys with eight and a half sacks and people are like, hey, that's good production. But he had four Plus of them against three. directional school. <laughs> yeah, it's three or four yeah. more games. You pick up two sacks yeah. against Central Arkansas and yeah. two sacks against, you know, Missouri Valley, something or other. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't mind a pick like this with – the, it's a compensatory pick, first of all, 182nd, or maybe this is the real one. One of the, but it's a pick at the end of the round in the compensatory range. I mean, 182nd overall, pick number 38 in that round. So that's where you take a, a flyer and a guy that you think has got some tools. The thing is with him, though, and I'll go back to what I said before. Dylan Moses was still on the board at this point. Kylan Hill was still on the board. I just, I see either one of those guys impacting our team more than this guy who's a base defensive end that's going to play what. 10 snaps a game, maybe if he breaks the rotation. I just, I just, and this is what I'm talking about, Scott. This guy, I just, mm-hmm. is one of those picks. I'm just like, there are better players on the board. If we're truly talking about BPA, and this wasn't a need, a 4-3 base end. We already have that. We got Jacob Tuolty Mariner to do that. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. So uh, this is one of the picks that I would not give a high grade to if we were grading these. Um, Cause I know grades yep. are always kind of stupid on these things, but I would give this pick like a C minus or a D. I just don't, I don't get it. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you. And like a lot of the picks and these middle round picks we've gone through doesn't even necessarily mean the guys are bad players. No, it just no. means you probably took them about a half round or a round earlier than you would have liked to. And there were other guys that had kind of slipped or fallen that probably shouldn't have been available mm-hmm. that it would have been better to take. Right. Especially, you know, I mean, yeah, the list just goes on kind of at every position, right? There's, we took a guy in the third round and you look and there's two guys going in the middle fourth that are just as good, or maybe you even like more. So. And this is another issue I have, like we take a tackle after taking a tackle, what two years ago in the first round, trading up to get a tackle and Caleb McGarry. We're taking another tackle. tackle. Quote yeah, okay. Yeah. And I was about to say, I was about to say that. We're gonna kick him inside the guard. Fine. So we're shoring up our interior offensive line, right? Then why do we take a center in the next round? Like I, that I don't get that. Yeah. I don't I get agree. that. And like why are we taking two interior linemen that need a little bit of time to get ready to play? Right. Neither of which are and Mayfield, I, I think he might be a little closer to playing than some people do but he's not a slam dunk to be a starter. And that's for sure. I, I would say that for sure. And again, like two interior linemen, take that fourth round pick that you used on Dalman and go get you a edge player. That's got a higher ceiling or another corner with a higher ceiling, or go get rich of the count as a developmental safety, or go get a receiver. That's actually really good. And not someone that can only do one thing like Frank Darby, which we're going to talk about in a second here. <laughs> Sit on the bench. That's valuable. Oh, we got to have somebody over there. So uh, pick number 39 in the fifth round, we had back-to-back picks, of course. I think this one was actually the compensatory pick. I can't remember. They all were together. Both compensatory. They both were compensatory picks. Okay, so this is a pick that I actually like. I was trying to figure out at first, Scott, where we took a five-foot-eight corner out of Boise State. Yeah. And then you informed me And then me that you he saw was, the return touchdown. Correct. And then you informed me that this guy was a kick return specialist. And I think that was underselling it, Scott, because this guy had nine return touchdowns in his career, four just this year. And I don't know if you know this, Scott, he blocked two punts that went back mm-hmm. for touchdowns. Yeah. So he's a special teams guy for sure. Through yeah. And through. I didn't and even he's list awesome him as a, at it. So yeah, he's like, helps. yeah, like he is the best return man, probably the best, the best specialist kicker punter or anybody in this entire draft. Um, and he was an all American consensus, all American again. Um, Best return in this draft, six punt return touchdowns, two kickoff returns, two punt returns this year. He's at five foot eight, 187 pounds, ran a four four. He's listed as a corner. He will probably never rep corner or even see corner in the field for us. At his pro day, people had him running routes. So this guy already knows he's going to the NFL and he is not going to make any money playing corner. Uh, so he is a specialist. And as bad as the return game has been ever since 
really since Devin Hester left. Um, we had the one year we had Andre Robert Robertson, and he was good. And then we decided to let him go. And then he made the Pro Bowl next year. So and we've been sucky Classic. ever since. So Yeah, so the, the previous pick, one pick before this, Ogundeshi, right, you mentioned – this guy might not even make the team. Yeah. Avery Williams, will make the team. might never play a single down a cornerback. Mm-hmm. He will absolutely make the team. He will absolutely make this team. Yeah, absolutely make this team. And really the only concern for him is like, I don't know what his primary position is going to be. Like, I, I, I don't know what the list him at. I don't know if they see him as like a, you know, emergency third down, like receiving running back, if that's one of the plans for him. Cause I know he did work out running routes out of the slot for people, but truthfully, you and I both know, it doesn't matter. He is going to be your primary punt returner. Cordero Patterson will be your kick returner. And you're going to have one of the best return games in the NFL after being pitiful there the last couple of years. And the added value in the return game, people have to realize it's not always touchdowns. Yes. Cordero Patterson gets a touchdown every year. The value is field position. If this guy adds five to eight yards on every punt, because he gets a good return, that's so valuable. That's one less first down you have to get on every drive. And people don't understand that. It's not just about touchdowns. So good pick here. Give this pick, uh, you know, B plus, A minus, because this kid might have been available in the sixth round. But I'm not going to nitpick because you had the compensatory picks. They're basically free to passes. This is a good pick. Yep. Scott, our last pick in the draft. Not such a great pick. No, this one just hurts. If, if you thought you needed to get wide receiver – there's a lot of ways you could have done it. You could have gotten a guy that really profiled as a starter early in his career in the third or fourth round when you had a whole Mm -hmm. lot of guys. You could have taken a developmental guy with a lot of upside. It really is an undrafted free agent. A hot weight speed guy, yeah. Yeah, or you could have done that in the sixth round. Instead, you took a not height, not weight, not speed, not production guy and frank darby oh and has injury history so darby was he's a one trick pony that runs a four six deep route okay so let's go through frank darby here he's the receiver out of arizona state six foot 201 looks bigger than that i would say he's jacked man like he looks big he does yeah um and plays i would say he definitely plays bigger than a six foot frame frank darby does one thing well and it's running a straight line and catch bombs he really does nothing else i mean like if you watch his – he's a YouTube hero because if you watch his highlights, you'd be like, this kid's like a second-round pick. And you realize that that's all he does. Like, And he's not even a good route runner. Like, I watched him run a post route. Not even good. Just ran past the guy. So Post is not one of the harder, more complicated routes either. It's right? not. But <laughs> doesn't even drop his hips. Doesn't, doesn't give a good stem. Just makes a jab step and br- runs past the guy. But – all said, he averaged in his 2019 season because we have to go by that because he played the pack. His team played four games in 2020, and he only played two because of injury, um, which you mentioned. And when he had Brandon Ayuk on the other side of him, so he was getting single coverage against not so good corners in the Pac-12. 31 receptions for 616 yards, which is 19.8 yards per catch and eight touchdowns. And his touchdowns are highlights. There's a couple times where he's like high pointing the ball over corners or catching the ball in between a corner and a safety. So he's got some good tape, but. When you look a little deeper, he had a lot of concentration drops, like on easy passes. Um, and with a guy like this, when you know that the only thing he does well is run deep routes, you expect him to time fast. He timed at a four six one, which is what makes this pick even more head scratching. Because this is the guy that's sh- this is the guy that should be a UDFA. I mean, mm-hmm. he, this is not a draftable receiver. Yeah, not a four six. This guy would not be. This guy's probably not one of the top five UDFA wide receivers. He had six catches this year, Scott. Ugh. I just, I just, I don't get this pick. And I, the, the kid is, his game's okay. It's fine. But like, there is, this pick's an F. There's no value in this pick at all. I just don't understand. And again, I don't think the kid's that bad. But like I said, Tremarion Terry's on the board still. There's, there's better players on the board than him. I mean, I just, I didn't understand okay. this pick. And the reason this pick is so annoying is it's a microcosm of all the stuff that was a little bit annoying about the draft as a whole, right? which well, most of the other times it wasn't because you took nobody or somebody that was just bad. It's just that you could have taken better yes, guys. Or like better guys. Guy later. Yes. Right. So Trey Hill, the interior off in the line from Georgia. Oh, he went three picks after Frank Darby. Now you tell me, would you rather have the interior offensive lineman we got in the third or fourth round plus Frank Darby, or would you rather go draft a wide receiver in the third mm. or fourth round and pick up Trey Hill? Mm. Because Absolutely. one of those gives you two NFL players and one of those gives you one. One NFL player, yeah. So 
So I, I just Deontay Brown went uh, about four picks after Trey Hill, the offensive guard from Alabama. Yeah, that's right. He was a sixth rounder too, wasn't he? Right. Those are offensive guards in the sixth round that a lot of people expect to be starters. So when you're picking offensive interior offensive linemen in the third or fourth round, and you're saying, I don't know, they're as likely or almost likely to be starters as these guys in the sixth round. Well, that's not dude, great. Trevon Grimes went undrafted. He's a better prospect because at least Trevon Grimes has the height. He's six four and can catch a jump ball. I mean, yeah. I don't think he's a great prospect either. But he's got he's more toolsy than Frank Darby is. And truthfully, yeah. and I'll be honest with you, Darby doesn't run a four six, y'all. Like you watch this film, he, he's not a four six guy. I mean, yeah. pretty clearly he runs. He, he plays a lot faster than that. But I'm just saying, if we're going on drafting a guy that's got upside, four six guys that only run one or two routes are not upside picks, and it's not a position of need. So what's what? Why are we taking this player here? I don't understand. And Frank Darby apparently has got a, a magnetic personality. I'll probably love rooting for him, but that didn't change the fact that it's a bad value pick. Yeah. So Trevin Grimes went undrafted at wide receiver. Uh, Cade Johnson, who's a guy oh, from yeah. South Dakota State. Yeah, he was supposed to be like a yep. fourth or fifth round pick. Yep. Sage Surratt went undrafted. Wake Forest, he's uh, really good. He's I've seen him play. He is a lot better of a football player than Frank Darby. Yep. Tyler Vons from uh, USC, okay. who certainly was a much better college player, much more productive college player, right? And we already mentioned Tamori and Terry, you know, it's pretty easy to come up with five undrafted guys you'd rather have than the guy we took at the start yeah. of the sixth round. Yeah. So, and that's kind of painful. So, all in all, Scott, I know we don't like giving grades to drafts because it's stupid, but let's go ahead and do that because that's what people want to listen for. Give this draft a grade. I mean, it's got to be, I don't know. I'm starting it's, C minus. Yeah. D plus. C okay. minus, so we're something and like that. For you and I to agree on grades is rare because we're I'm usually much more optimistic. But I was texting with Russ and he goes, I was like, Russ, I don't know what we're doing. He goes, the center from Stanford broke you, didn't he? I said, <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I don't know if it was that one. It was probably when we took the five eight corner. That's the one that broke me. I, was like, I yeah, don't. And, I don't and it know. turns out that one's actually. No turns out that was pick. actually a good pick. I know. But the problem is so. that you had five guys that we drafted. You really had to dig into to try and figure out what's going on. You and I are like, I don't know who these people are. And we follow this stuff. And there's, okay, first, let me give this caveat. We get to the fifth round, you're never going to know who all the players are. You're just not. Like, you can predict pretty steadily who's going to go in the first three rounds. But after like four rounds, four, it just becomes a free for all. But like, it's like, I've never heard of these players. Like, and there, some of these players go to big schools. But anyway, at the end of the day, I will say this. The Falcons did meet some needs in rather unusual ways with suboptimal value, but they did meet some needs. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned this sort of at the beginning. What makes it a little bit tough is none of these guys are so awful that they just shouldn't have been drafted or exactly. so awful exactly. that we took them five rounds early. It's just always a little bit early. Well, hey, that means that if they fit what we want to do a little bit better than expected or a little better than we realize, or if this person is just a little bit better than the valuation other teams yeah. had on them, yeah. we got it right. Then all of a sudden everything's fine. No problems. Or one guy hits, right? This, the Avery Williams turns yeah. into Devin Hester of yeah. the return game. Well, crap. That, that covers a lot. Who cares about Frank? Hey, you're, Darby? Try, you're right. You're right. You got Devin Hester like three picks before him. And that's so. one of the things you have to you have to say you have to tell people too. And I was talk, telling somebody like you can't get too bent out of shape about the 182nd pick. Like, would I rather? <laughs> but we get, did. But we did. And we just did. I know. We just we just got done getting bent out of shape. But like, would I rather get good value? Yeah. But six and seventh round picks probably aren't making your team. If they do, it's a plus. I mean, very rarely do you find a Foyer Luicon who ends up being like a plus starter. That's it's rare. A Tom Brady. That's rare. So. I know we just got bent on shape about it, but I mean, at the end of the day, those guys don't make or break your team. You make or break your team in rounds one, two, and three, and four, and you find special teams and depth guys around and developmental guys around five through seven, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So, all in all, I I think one of the things Scott and you'll agree with this that makes this hard for us is that we don't have a track record. With, with Thomas Dimitrov, we said if he drafts a linebacker with Dan Quinn here. During the Dan Quinn area, if Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn drafted a linebacker, if we didn't know who they were, we said that guy will probably end up being good. 
because they had a record of only they only missed on they missed on one linebacker their entire time here, and that was Duke Riley. Oh, well, hey, if and you're gonna was, miss, oh, miss man. big. Woo. But if any time throughout his tenure, if Thomas Dimitrov drafted a running back, you just said he's probably gonna be good. Mm-hmm. He didn't miss the running backs. He didn't. Yeah, didn't you miss some, some. You got some late round guys, and they're just kind yeah. of okay or whatever. But that's pretty normal for late round guys, right? Yeah, missing but, in that case is like getting cut in training camp, and you didn't have that happen. But look at his track record in the middle rounds. I mean, with running backs, it was fantastic, and so. You really, if Dimitrov drafts the running back, you're like, oh, okay, well, I can trust that this guy's probably pretty good. Um, if he drift took a receiver in the first few rounds, like, what's he doing with Calvin Ridley? Oh, he knew exactly what he was doing with Calvin Ridley. So, I mean, not that that was a hard pick, but you get what I'm saying. There was, yeah. there were certain times where if he took a pick, you you knew that you could trust it because he had a track record there of being good. Just like if he took a pass rusher, you knew you couldn't trust it. We have no such record here with Fontenot and Smith, and so. We don't know whether or not to give them the benefit of the doubt with some of these picks. We just don't, we just don't know. And that makes it really hard. And and you know, if it turns out that offensively, right, if they just really want to be zone heavy, just zone all the time. Well, then that Drew Dolphin pick at center, who like we talked about, they were pulling him at Stanford. Yes. He's a very athletic center. He moves really well. That's great for zone. Uh-huh. Now, if you're trying to run power and your guy's he packing on a big play. breakfast and yeah. drinking a gallon of water before his weigh-in <laughs> at pro day to hit 290-something, yeah, that's a problem, trying to run yeah. power gap schemes in the NFL. Yeah. But if we're really just trying to be zone, 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 Drew Dahlman's a guy that a couple years from now is you know way above the expected level when you draft him, possibly, and then, then everything's cool. All is forgiven, right? So... And he's about as good as doubling and climbing the linebackers as you're going to find out of any center in this draft. I mean, he's he was really good. So, all right. So, we don't give a lot of hot takes. So, you got to hear us dunk on some draft picks, talk a little trash about our new GM. And I'll be thankful if we're wrong and these guys end up being great values for their production. We will both be very, very happy. But, again, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt yet, even though I'm giving love to another bald brother. All right, Scott. I know we got to go take care of kids and uh, and babies and, and wives. So uh, we're going to wrap it up and call it a night. Uh, this has been Dave Bethay from the Title Run Sports Podcast. Scott, tell the people, adios. Have a good night. Take care of your hair, everyone out there. You got to keep it while you got it. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you for listening.